Thank you, Kendrick. Thank you, Dave. Good evening, everybody. Good to be with you. Good to see you. Uh, as Dave mentioned, <clears throat> John was supposed to preach uh, this weekend, uh, and then we, he found out that Steph, his wife, was uh, tested positive, and then the next day, he himself tested positive. So uh, one of the things that we want to pray for before we jump right into the sermon is to pray for him and his family. I think one of his children also tested positive as well. So um, we want to pray for a speedy recovery for the family. Um, he is hopefully scheduled to be uh, able to preach next weekend. So let's pray uh, that he and his family will recover well and recover quickly. Uh, another thing that we can and should be praying for is for the search committee. So um, last week or over the last few days, the search committee has met with uh, a bunch of different candidates and they have interviewed them. And now they have uh, part of the process is to discern with wisdom how God wants them to move forward and um, how to move from here and which candidate should they decide to do so. So pray for wisdom, pray for discernment, pray that the Spirit of God would help them and guide them through this whole process. So I'm going to lead you in prayer. Uh, feel free to pray in your own seat just for a few minutes. And if there's somebody that comes to mind in any personal prayer points, you can take this opportunity to pray as well. So uh, let's bow our heads. Just a few minutes of silence and then I'll lead you in prayer. Father, we come before you and we lift up Jordan and his family, lift up Jordan, Steph, and Theo. We pray, Father, as they um, go through COVID, we pray that they will recover well, that they would rest well in these few days. And we pray, Father, that they would take this time to be able to, uh, in some sense, support one another, encourage one another in their own home. And I pray, Father, that um, there will be people who would be there to support and encourage them as well. And we do want them to um, recover fully, recover well, so that we can see them again next week. So, Father, we lift up that family into your hands, and we pray that you'll be with them during this time. Father, we also pray for the search committee. Lord, you know the burden and the responsibility that they hold in trying to discern with wisdom what and who the next person will be to lead this church. We pray, Father, that your Spirit will help them and guide them, will empower them, will give them wisdom. And we pray, Father, as they discuss, as they discern, as they talk amongst one another, we pray, Father, that they will be able to come to a conclusion, come to a decision, Lord, and also, in many senses, rely upon you. And ultimately, we trust and we know that you are the one who ultimately appoints this person. So, Father, we commit these things into your hands, and especially for tonight, for each one of us, we pray that your Spirit would work in us, in our hearts, and we pray that we will see you more clearly, we would love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly as well as we hear from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, federal election, it's coming. Now, if I'm not mistaken, right, the election date is set to be on the 21st of May, this, which is, you know, in about a month's time. And when election is coming, what we usually start seeing is these different political parties, they would um, start launching their political campaigns, and they will run ads everywhere, and sometimes they will do letter drops. So recently, um, in my own home, I received a flyer in my mailbox saying how, you know, all the major parties, they are not to be trusted, don't vote for them. 
So what they are trying to do, all these different political parties, is that they are trying to convince the Australian people to vote for their party. And they do that either by playing up all the wonderful policies that they will have when they are voted in, or they sling mud at one another and saying how bad the other political, political parties are. And to do this, what they normally have is that they have teams behind them to run these campaigns, whether it is the media team or the team that designs and prints um, these brochures or flyers. Sometimes they have social media teams to work on these social medias. So these are really smart and qualified people, whether in politics or public relations, to plan and run these campaigns. Now, imagine if you want to start a political party and you want to run a political campaign. Who would you pick to be part of that team? Would you pick an accountant to be part of it? Would you pick a janitor? Or how about a teacher at a school? Would you pick someone who works in a retail shop? Who would you pick to promote you and in many senses to represent you to the wider public? Now you might be thinking, ah, well, these are ordinary, everyday people. Right? They are not qualified in public relations or policy, so to speak. How can they be running a political campaign? Would they know how to draft a new government policy? Would they know even where to begin? Well, if they don't know these things, how are they going to convince the Australian public to vote for our party? How can they represent me and the party if they don't have these expertise? Now, it's very natural to be thinking that. Because you know, the, these are ordinary people who might not have all these expertise in these particular areas. And you know, when you run a political party and you have a polit political campaign, you want these people to represent you in the best light and to be able to tell them about all, all the different policies that you might want in your um, government. But that way, that way of thinking is quite different, completely opposite of what Jesus did. So last week, what we had was David, he preached on the fact that Jesus is now our resurrected king of the universe, and now we owe all our allegiance to this king. But who has he chosen to represent him on earth? Who has he chosen to promote his kingship? Well, he's chosen ordinary, everyday people. And he has given us ordinary people a mandate, a commission, before he ascended into heaven. And at first glance, it is an impossible mandate, impossible command. Right In the Bible, reading, we had the Great Commission read to us, and Jesus tells His disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Wait, Jesus, are you serious? All nations? It's not make disciples of this village, or make disciples of this city, or disciples of this country. No, it's disciples of all nations. We have been given a task by Jesus before he left. And at first glance, it is an absolutely daunting task to proclaim the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to all the nations. 
And who has he chosen to start that? Ordinary, normal, everyday people. But of course, he didn't leave them to their own devices. What he did was that he gave the disciples all the necessary help to do that. And the passage that we will be looking at today is from Acts chapter 1. So last week we saw Acts chapter 2. This week we, we reverse and rewind a little bit. We look at Acts chapter 1 and what came before. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Or just turn to the screen behind me. I will read that passage for us. So let me invite you to stand as I read from Acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or days the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You may be seated. <clears throat> so last week we looked at Acts chapter 2. This week, we go back one chapter, and we, look, we will be looking at what this resurrected king is asking us to do. And many of us, many of you know, that Acts is like a sequel to, book, to the Luke's account of the gospel. Right? It is like volume 2 of Luke's writings. So in verse 1, what we see is that Luke says that in his former book, that is the gospel account, he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, which means the book of Acts is about what Jesus continues to do on earth. But in verse 2, next verse, we read that Jesus is now taken up to heaven. So how is Jesus continuing his work? Well, if we keep reading on, we find that Jesus continues his work by his Spirit through the people of God, the church. So we had the Great Commission read to us in the Bible reading. And one of the things that he calls us disciples to do is to make disciples of all nations. And here in the book of Acts, we read about how the disciples began to do that. It's about how the church began to fulfill the Great Commission through ordinary, everyday people. And Luke 
wrote all this, recorded all this to teach us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to correct us, so that we will do the same as the disciples did. So three points to bring out from the passage. Point number one, we stand on Jesus' resurrection as our solid foundation. We stand on Jesus' resurrection as our solid foundation. So verse 3 says this, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Do you sense the emphasis there? He is emphasizing to us here about the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. One way he did that was appearing to his disciples many times over a period of 40 days. So it's not just appearing once and that's it. If it's just once, maybe we could have said or concluded, ah, it's just a hallucination, just a vision, he wasn't really there. Luke doesn't allow us to say that. He appeared to his disciples many times over a period of 40 days. Sometimes it's to one person, sometimes it's the whole group over a period of 40 days. And another fact is that this Jesus taught them. So he didn't just appear to them for one second and then he disappears. No, no, no. He stays there and he teaches them. In fact, you know, in verse 4, he's even eating with his disciples. There is no doubt Jesus was raised from the dead. He was dead, but now he is alive. And this resurrection of Christ, this bodily resurrection of Christ, is at the heart of our Christian faith. And as Dave mentioned from last week, we cannot deny the resurrection of Christ and still expect to have our faith. Our faith will be in vain. See, a number of years ago, uh, an Anglican archbishop from a place that I will leave nameless, he said this in a sermon he gave during Easter. He said, well, what I do believe is that to be a Christian, to be a member of the Christian church, it is not necessary to believe that the resurrection of Jesus was an extraordinary physical event which restored to life Jesus' original earthly body. The resurrection of Jesus need not be understood as a restored physical reality, but as a new spiritual reality. So what he's saying is that, you know, you don't have to believe in the physical resurrection of Christ to be a Christian. All you have to do is believe that Jesus has risen spiritually in your heart. Well, Luke and Paul would disagree with him. And as we saw, Luke really emphasized the fact that Jesus was physically alive, appeared to his disciples many times. The resurrection of Christ is foundational to our faith. And if you take that away, everything else will crumble. So for example, 1 Corinthians 15, in our Bible reading, once again, Paul lays out a simple logical argument. Very simple. Because what the apostles have been doing is that they have been preaching about the resurrection of Christ. And again, if you remember what David said last week, that's the constant emphasis of the apostles in the book of Acts. That's what they are always talking about, the resurrection of Christ. Now, if Jesus wasn't physically raised from the dead, what were the apostles doing? Effectively, they are lying to the people that they're preaching to. Their preaching is in vain. And what they become is that then they are false witnesses to what God has done. 
If they are false witnesses to what God has done, why are we reading what they are writing in the New Testament? Why are we spending time to believe, to study, to read the New Testament of which they wrote? Well, they are liars. They are false witnesses. But wasting our time if the resurrection of Christ did not happen. But it did happen. And that becomes the foundation of our faith. We take that away, everything crumbles. On the flip side, if that is true, everything makes sense. And if you're here, you're not a Christian, you're trying to find out if Christianity is true or not, look at the resurrection of Christ. If you're here, you, if you're a Christian, the resurrection of Christ is the linchpin. That's why Luke puts it at the beginning of his book, foundational. Foundational to the kingdom of God as well. Because again, that's what Jesus did. He taught and spoke about the kingdom of God as we just read. And his resurrection, as we learned from last week, is his coronation to be king over his people. By being raised from the dead, now Jesus is crowned as king over his people. He reigns in the hearts of the people. The very first sermon we hear from the book of Acts is exactly what this is all about. Again, we heard from last week, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, King, and Messiah. That's what we stand on, the foundation of the resurrection of Christ. It is the foundation of the church because it shows that He is King. Without this foundation, we have nothing. And we stand upon this foundation we know that He is King. He calls everyone everywhere to repent, to turn to Him. And nothing can change it, nothing can move it, and we stand on this foundation. And it is from this foundation that we begin to make disciples of all nations. That brings us to our next point. Point number two. We are empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses of Christ. We are empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses to Christ. Look at verses 7 and 8. He said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father, has, the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, just before that, asked his disciples to stay in Jerusalem because the gift of being baptized of the Spirit is going to come. Now, what does it mean to be baptized with the Spirit? Now, many Christians have answered this in many different ways, depending on which Christian circles you ask. I won't explore and discuss this in great detail because, you know, it can be controversial. But what I want to do is look at what that means from this particular passage. Now, what does this passage tell us about what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? One of the hints in verse 8 is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So in other words, being baptized with the Spirit is that we will receive power. But what kind of power are we talking about? As always, in a good Bible study, we keep reading. What does he say next? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So whatever we think about what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit, one aspect of it must be 
about us being empowered, being emboldened by the Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus, raised from the dead, crowned as our King and Savior. And when the apostles were baptized by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, what happens immediately after that? Peter stands up. What does he do? He preaches about Jesus being Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit gives us power to be witnesses of Jesus. We cannot be effective witnesses of Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Spirit that we need for witnessing is not just the power to speak about the gospel, but also to live in a way that is worthy of the gospel, to enable us to live godly and holy lives, because our lives promote our verbal witness. Because if what we do in our lives contradict what we say with our mouths, then people are not likely to listen to us. Why would they listen to us if our livelihood, our lifestyles contradict what we preach? That's hypocrisy. Now, I'm not saying we need to be sinlessly perfect, but at the very least, we need to be consistent. So being baptized by the Holy Spirit, at the very least, means that we are given power to be witnesses, not just verbally, witnesses in our lives to the resurrection of Christ, to the kingship of Christ. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, you have been baptized by the Spirit. That means we have the power to be witnesses of Christ. You have the power to be witnesses about the resurrection of Christ if you believe in Jesus. Because that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same Spirit now lives in you, works in you. It is because of the Spirit that us, ordinary, normal people, we are able to be witnesses of Jesus, making disciples of all nations. I mean, just look at the disciples. Who were they? One was a former tax collector, which nobody likes at that time. One was just a normal businessman. Another one was just a fisherman. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, they were described as unschooled, ordinary men. They were not anybody special. They were not trained as the rabbis did in those days. But they had power to be witnesses of Jesus because the Spirit was working in them. And so do we. And ultimately, we are not the ones that bring people to Christ. It is God who is doing that through the Spirit. The Spirit works through us to preach, proclaim the gospel. God is the one who changes hearts. God is the one who gives new life. And He uses ordinary, normal people like us to work through us to change hearts through our lives, through our preaching and proclamation of the gospel. There is a story that John Stott told about, a time, about the time where he came to Australia to do a mission talks, mission week, at the University of Sydney in 1958. So it was a series of talks over one week. And during this week of speaking and preaching, he suffered from a throat infection and eventually he lost his voice. And it was the eighth and final week of the mission. And the students had actually booked a big university hall and there was a large number of students coming. So what was John Stott supposed to do if he has lost his voice? 
well, so the students and him, they discussed it. They decided that, you know, he would try to preach. So a group of students gathered around him before the meeting. They read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. They prayed for John Stott. And then after that, he got up to preach. Let me read from how he described the evening. This is what he says. I remember that I had to get within one inch of the microphone. I croaked the gospel. I was unable to use any inflections of voice, was unable to express personality. I was just a croak in a monotone. And all the time we were crying to God that His power would be demonstrated in human weakness. It would be tempting for me to exaggerate or to be dishonest. But I can honestly say that there was a far greater response that night than every other night. What encourages me more is the following. Since 1958, I've been back to Australia about 10 times. And on every occasion, somebody has come up to me and said, Do you remember that night of preaching in a university hall when you lost your voice? And I'd say, How could I ever forget it? And the person responded, I was converted that night. It has been a great illustration of this principle to me, that God's power is demonstrated in human weakness. And honestly, if it is up for, to us human beings and how we perform... We would fail miserably. I would fail miserably. But praise God that He chooses to use plain, ordinary, everyday people like us to proclaim and preach His gospel to bring people to Jesus. And if we continue reading on in the book of Acts, who was it that first brought the gospel to the people outside of Jerusalem? And was it Paul? Was it Peter? No, it wasn't. It was... Ordinary, everyday people in Acts chapter 8. Just read that passage. Normal church members, they were scattered because of persecution, but they went about preaching the gospel, preaching the word when they were in Judea and Samaria. God uses ordinary, everyday people like us, and we are empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Not of our own strength, not, not of our own efforts. We are not left alone. We have the Spirit helping us. So don't think that you, know, you are merely an accountant, merely a single father or mother, or merely a former drug addict or a business person, a student or teacher, what have you, that you, know, you have no skills to preach or promote the gospel. No, 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 no. You are the child of the living God, saved by a resurrected king, empowered by the Spirit to be his witnesses. You're not merely those things. You are far greater than that. And some of you here, you are great at bringing people to church or to a course like Christianity Explored. Some of you are fantastic at building relationships with others and able to steer conversations to talking about spiritual matters. Some of you are fantastic at teaching God's truth to kids at church or outside of church. Some of you are fantastic at walk-up evangelism or going to door knocking. Some of you are great at showing compassion and care and love in the same way that points to Jesus' compassion and care and love. Some of you are fantastic at praying for the salvation of others. And I can go on listing all these great things. Each one of us, we have been empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses of the risen Christ. We're empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus. 
So we do stand on the solid foundation of Christ's resurrection. And from there, we understand that we have been empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus. Let's come to our last point, which will be a short, but a very important one. Last one. We look forward to Jesus' return with a sure and certain hope. We look forward to Jesus' return with a sure and certain hope. Verses 9 to 11. And in many ways, these can be strange verses, but let me read that. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He is our resurrected king. And now he is a king who is ascended to the right hand of the Father, having all authority in heaven and on earth. And as we go out to be witnesses of Jesus' resurrection by the power of the Spirit, what Luke is trying to do here is that he's reminding us that we live, we work, we believe, we worship, we obey, we evangelize, we witness under a Lord, under a King, exalted over all of creation. We are witnesses to the King of the universe. And because He's the King of the universe, and we are His people, we trust Him to take care of us even when we go through persecution and suffering. And because He's risen from the dead, ascended to heaven to be at God's right hand, we know He will come back again in the same way. But He will come back as the glorified King of the universe. And that gives us the impetus, the motivation to be faithful to the task He has given us. And because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain, no matter how it feels, no matter how it looks here on earth. And sometimes we labor and we work and we strive and we don't see the results of it. But God sees it. God knows it. He sees our hearts. He sees our work here on earth. And because of this, we can serve Jesus boldly and with great courage, knowing that it counts for eternity. So we don't give up. We don't give in. And through all that, we look forward to Jesus' return with a sure and certain hope. Let me finish by recounting two simple stories that uh, one pastor told, pastor by the name Stephen. He tells of this, um, these two stories in an article that he wrote about evangelizing to the people that we love the most. Now, normally I have pictures for you know, illustrations like this, but this are, these are stories about ordinary people, so they don't have pictures of them because it is in the course of their everyday life. They don't take pictures in their everyday life. He starts an article by asking this question. What is more difficult than sharing the gospel for the first time with someone you love? Sharing the gospel for the tenth time with someone you love even after they have rejected it or they have responded with indifference. So what do we do? Well, he asks us first not to give up. He asks us to trust God. And then he tells of these two simple stories. So the first is a story about his time when he was in his graduate studies and he was living with several other students, which is, again, very normal. Since they lived together, they saw each other very often and they spent a lot of time in the kitchen. 
And because of that, they had a lot of conversations together. And with him as a Christian, it was very natural for him to say things like, well, I was reading the Bible and I read something very interesting in the Bible this morning. Or he would say things like, you know, I was challenged by the sermon at, our, at my church today. You know, he's just doing what normal people would do, sharing with his housemate what's been happening in his life. And over the course of a few years, because of that relationship he has built, he was able to share the gospel from time to time with his housemates. But what he didn't realize was that one of his housemates, throughout this time, he was hurting, he was searching, seeking. And through his sharing, the gospel became attractive to him. And one evening, out of the blue, his housemate stopped him in the living room and told him that he became a Christian just through his faithful, everyday living. Another story that he tells is about his friend. And this friend of his, he would go to nursing homes. He would just sit down with the resident and just chat with them and share the gospel with them. So there was a, there, there was a man there named Rich, and he was a former engineer. One July afternoon, a few years ago, after a conversation with him in his room, he decided that he, Rich, he wanted to get to know Jesus more. And so he did. He prayed to God. He acknowledged Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And Rich began a discipleship course with this friend of this pastor, reading through John's gospel together. Rich was 98 years old when he said that through ordinary means, as someone witnesses about Jesus to him. We may not feel like we are gifted evangelists. We may not be great, charismatic church leaders who are able to draw large crowds of people. For many of us, we are ordinary, normal, everyday people. And unlike political parties who would hire specialized, qualified people to run political campaigns, God doesn't do that. He takes ordinary people like us, like you and me. He empowers us by His Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus with His resurrection as our solid foundation. And God works through ordinary people like us to witness to Jesus by the power of His Spirit. And that is how the Great Commission will be fulfilled and that's how the world was changed through ordinary, everyday people. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, we praise you that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead and now he reigns over the world, reigns over us as our resurrected king. And Lord, sometimes we look at the great commission given to us to make disciples of all nations and it feels impossible, it feels hard, but yet we know and we have seen the fruits of the Spirit working in and through disciples of Jesus. So we pray, Father, just as how the disciples preached and witnessed to the resurrection of Christ in their days, we pray that we would do the same in our midst. We pray that the Spirit will work powerfully in us through mothers at home, through colleagues at work, through being a father or mother, through being an auntie or uncle, through being a friend from high school, through being anybody through various kinds of various circumstances in our lives. We pray 
that we will be effective witnesses of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And Father, we pray that you do this through us, not for our own glory. We pray that you do this for the glory of Jesus, our resurrected King, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name we pray.